Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Good morning again. Last week, or maybe it was the week before, I was uh, with Doug Maston, and he and I were talking. Uh, those of you in the room that know Doug uh, know that he is someone that loves the Lord. He is a man of prayer and uh, is constantly encouraging people to pray, constantly encouraging people to, uh, to get involved in, in serving others. And uh, he had come to my office to talk to me about uh, we're going to have a night of prayer here at, at Grace uh, Friday night, June the 30th, uh, Friday night at 9 p.m. Is the, is the time of prayer. And, uh, of course, anyone is welcome to come to that. But we had gathered together to talk about that. And uh, I wished I had a camera going. You know, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to live in the moment if you're always trying to take a picture of the moment. Have you ever noticed that? But uh, we, we didn't have a camera going. We didn't have a video running. He was just talking to me about his life and what happened in his life. And he gave me permission to, to share this with you this morning because it relates uh, back to the scriptures and the Bible and how we use the Bible and what the Bible, how it helps us. And um, he, he shared that uh, when he and Joanna were a young couple and they had their young kids, they were in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, they came to know the Lord in Huntsville at this, uh, at this church that, that they were a part of. And uh, they were there at that church for about a year after they came to know the Lord. And, uh, and then his job caused him to move to Schenectady. I had to look that up how to spell that, but... He had to move to Schenectady, New York, and uh, they, they, you know, here they are, they're young believers, a young family, they got young kids, uh, and, and they, they just moved from Alabama to New York, and where are they going to fit in, and, and so they start looking for a church, and he shared with me at the time that, you know, even though he was a believer, he knew something wasn't working right, something wasn't, wasn't uh, fleshing itself out properly in his walk with the Lord, and they went and visited this church in Schenectady, and, and when they walked in... Uh, this church had Bibles in the pews, and, and they noticed that, that um, people there were carrying their Bibles. They were walking into church with, with, with their Bibles. And um, you got to now this is all pre-smartphone, pre, this, this was a while ago, okay? And, and so um, they, they walked in and they saw that, and he said it was just like the Lord immediately spoke to him and said, Doug, that's what's missing in your life, the Bible. That's what's missing in your walk with me. And I, I, I wished uh, I had a camera that could have just captured that moment so that he could have shared that story with you in, in his own words. But I think for many of us that are trying to walk with the Lord, both sitting here in this room and watching online this morning, that uh, we would be in the same boat Doug was in way back then. That what's missing in our life 
I mean, we, we know we love the Lord. I mean, come on, we go to church, here we are. We watch online when we're not here. We, we know this is important, but something's not clicking right. Something's not fleshing itself out right. What, what is missing? And for many of us, what is missing is, is knowing how to use the Bible, how to, how to read it, how to study it, how, how to let, it, let, let God speak to us through his word. And, and so what we do many times is we wait to come to a place like this, and this is important. What we're doing right now is important. God does speak to us when we gather together to worship him. But you do not have to be in a worship service to worship God through the scriptures on your own. It's just a matter of time, a matter of priority, a, a, a matter of knowing what to do when we open the Bible. Because the Bible, uh, it, it, as a book in and of itself, the Bible is, is not your typical book. It's, you don't even read it like you read a typical book. Um, and we'll talk more about that this morning, but there's no way. I mean, listen, if you pick up the Bible, someone who's never read the Bible a lot before, and all of a sudden they have, I want to read the Bible. If they came to me and said, I want to start reading the Bible, where should I read? I would not tell them to start in Genesis. And, and see, that's what makes this book different. Because it's, most, most books you pick up and you start reading in page one. And, and you can do that with the Bible, and you wouldn't be wrong doing that with the Bible. But, but I might could save someone some frustration and, and some confusion if, if we had some instruction on, on how to read the Bible and, and how to study the Bible and how God uses it to speak to us. We, we talked about a fancy word last week called illumination. Um, illumination is when God, uh, through his spirit, uh, lights up the word of God for us so that we can understand what the Bible is saying. So listen to me carefully. Apart from the spirit of God, you and I cannot understand the Bible. We can understand the words, we can understand facts, we might get concepts, but God doesn't reveal himself to us apart from the Spirit of God showing that to us as we read the Bible. And, and so in 2 Timothy, look at, look at what it says here. It says, um, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed who correctly handles the word of truth. All right, so when, when the Bible says that we should be people that correctly handle the word of truth, is the Bible saying that it's only, it, you know, it's like only like pastors and teachers and professional people. They're the ones that are handle the word of truth properly. Or is the Bible speaking to all of us? Yeah, he's speaking to all of us, that all of us would be able to, to, to properly discern how to use the word, how, how to be able to handle the, the, the word of God, and that one day we must present ourselves to the Lord. Imagine that, you know, that, that we got to stand before him and, and say, here's the proof of how I knew what to do with the word of God, how I used it in my life and how I let you speak to me through it. That's what this verse is talking about. And so how do we do that? How do we correctly handle the word of truth? I, I want us to, 
to think about this, and maybe, maybe I have never shared this in a message. What I'm about to share with you, I've never shared on Sunday morning, okay? I typically share this to small groups of people, like people who come together and, and we're we're talking about how to study the Bible. But I'm about to give you seven rules to studying the Bible. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've been a believer a long time and you're gonna yawn when you go through this because it's like, oh, I already knew all this. But basically what we know is happening inside the American church, and I believe Grace Bible Church in many ways is an exceptional church. And in many ways, we're just like everybody else. And, and one way that we're, I think that we're just like everybody else is that I'm not sure many of us sitting here in the room and watching online really read the Bible that much through the week. I don't think we are, okay? I, I think there, there may be individuals who do it, but, but collectively as, as a culture, as an attitude, I don't know that that's really happening. And I love you, okay? I'm just being honest with you. Okay? And, and so I, I think part of that is, is comes from this fact of, well, I don't really know what to do when I pick up the Bible. I don't, I don't really know how, how am I supposed to study it. Okay, So that's why I want to share these seven rules quickly uh, together this morning. When you take the Bible and you're going to study the Bible, you're going to read it, uh, here's some things to keep in mind. First rule, faith and the Holy Spirit are necessary for an accurate interpretation. Okay, for us to accurately understand what the Bible is talking about, we must have faith. Faith in, in who? In Jesus. We, we must, if we, want, if we want to understand the book, we must have a relationship with the author. Okay, and we've talked about that. We've talked about how the Bible got here. Uh, and if you missed those messages, you can find them online. You can go back. And, but, but God is the author of Scripture. And, and we must have faith in him through Jesus Christ to be able to understand the Scripture. And, and that, that has to be in place. But, but also what's in place is that you and I can't understand the Scriptures apart from the Holy Spirit helping us accurately. Now listen, anybody can take up the Bible and make it say what, it, what they want it to say, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit showed them that. We're going to see that in just a few moments too. But if you and I, when it comes to studying the Bible, if you really want to understand what, what God is saying to us through this book, or, or when you open it up and you read it on your smartphone, those two things have to be in place. One, I, I must have a relationship with the author. I must have faith in God through Jesus Christ. And then second, you, the, the Holy Spirit has the freedom to speak to us as, as we read the scriptures. So the second rule is that the Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. So sometimes people will ask me this question, what's the best commentary to read on Scripture? So commentary, a commentary is a book that a scholar wrote about the Bible. And, and so commentaries are good. There's nothing wrong with, you know, there's good commentaries, there's bad commentaries, but, but commentaries in general are not a bad thing to read. But when someone comes to me and says, what's the best commentary on the Bible? It is the Bible. The Bible interprets itself. But to know that, you have to read 
all of Scripture. When I say read all of Scripture, not at one time. Not, but but you're, you're looking at it from front to back. You're taking it all and you're holding it equal. And, and so what happens is that if you, if you come across something in the Scriptures that you don't understand, generally the answer is somewhere else in the Bible. Does that make sense? So every year, in fact, this year, I plan, uh, right now I'm working on a trip to, to go to Tanzania, and I, I try to go every year. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but when I go, I, I work with pastors in, the, in, in parts of the world that do not have the resources that we have, okay? They don't, they don't have computers. They, have, they all have smartphones, but as, as wonderful as a smartphone can be, it's limited when it comes to being able to do study and research and, and dig and those kinds of things. So I, I work with pastors on uh, pastors that, that do not have a lot of resources, and all I do is teach them how to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So that all they need to put a lesson together, to put a sermon together, all they all they need is the Bible. That's, that's what I do. And for you, I'm telling you, if, if you and I were to study the Bible, and, and that's all we had. We didn't have any devotionals. We didn't have any commentaries. We didn't have YouTube or preachers to come on and tell us. The, if we didn't have anything but the Bible, I want you to know you have all you need. Because the Bible interprets the Bible. And, and there's this thing, uh, some of you may, may have heard of this, some of you may not have heard of this, but there's this thing called cross-referencing, okay? It's a great tool. And, and our Bibles, uh, most of us, your, your physical Bibles, some of your digital Bibles have this also, is, is when you're reading a verse, you will, if you're, if you're noticed when you're reading a verse, uh, sometimes there'll be a word in a verse that has a superscript on it, like an A, B, C, D, E, F. And there's, there's a superscript letter there. And then in the middle of the page or at the bottom of the page, if you go and find that letter, it will tell you another verse in the Bible where that, ber- where that word is used. So if you were to turn and read that verse, it's giving you, it's saying, look, in this verse, the word was used this way. In this, in this verse over here, it's used this way. It gives you a better understanding of what this word means. Does this make sense? That's cross-referencing. And that's how we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Another word for it is called inductive Bible study. Okay, so when I go to Tanzania, when I when I or Uganda or these these places that, that the Lord allows me to go to, when I go and I work with these pastors, what I'm teaching them is is what you and I call an inductive Bible study. And it's where you take a passage of scripture and there's certain questions you ask yourself and you write down the answer as you study that passage. That's what it means to study the Bible. Okay, and, and look, I could tell by the blank stares to some of you looking at me that many of you sitting here have never done that. You don't even know what questions to ask when you're reading the Bible. That doesn't make you a bad person, okay? It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means there's some things that maybe we should learn so that we know how to use the Bible. That's one of the rules, is to always remember the Bible interprets the Bible. The third rule that I would 
say is pretty important is that when you're studying the Old Testament, study the Old Testament through the filter of the New Testament. So the Old Testament can be confusing. That's why I would never encourage someone new to the Bible to start reading in Genesis. Because it's not that it's bad, it's still truth. It just can be confusing if you don't know what happened in the New Testament. Okay? And you can get things out of order because you don't know yet what happened in what we call the New Testament. So the Old Testament is like a, like a room that's dimly lit that's full of treasures. But the New Testament is the flashlight that allows you to light up that dimly lit room so that you can understand what that treasure is all about. An example that, that's confusing about the Old Testament, if, if so, especially for someone that, that is, is not familiar with the Scriptures, is that when you read the Old Testament, you, you know, Genesis is pretty exciting. It's a lot of stories, okay? It's pretty cool. You get to Exodus. The first part of Exodus is pretty good. Then all of a sudden, it turns into killing animals, a lot of animals, over and over again. And then, and then the next book, it's even more dead animals. And, and then the book after that even describes a little bit more about how to kill animals. And after a while, you're like, how much instruction do we need to kill animals? And, and, and all these different kinds of animals. And so it gets confusing. However, if you know what happened in the New Testament, you know that the forgiveness of sin never happens without the shedding of blood. And Jesus shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Now, all of a sudden, this killing of the animals in the Old Testament makes a little more sense. All of that was a picture of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. But see, if you start in the Old Testament and you don't know that happened in the New Testament, that can be confusing. Because I can tell you right now, even the most staunch Jewish followers of religion don't kill animals today. So why is it in the Bible? Because it's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's always important that when you're reading the Old Testament and you come across something that's like, wow, that is outlandish, that doesn't make sense, why are they doing that? Filter it through the New Testament. You'll be able to discern what that is all about. The fourth rule that I would say is really important when we're reading the Bible is let clearly understood verses set the tone for verses that are more difficult to understand. So... This rule is ignored frequently, <laughs> um, especially by people who want to take the Bible and make it say what they want it to say, as opposed to it just as opposed to just saying, you know what? Sometimes something is hard, and it's okay that it's hard. Let's just let it be hard to understand. That's okay. But instead, they want to take that and they want to twist it and they say, oh, this is what it means. This is this unique interpretation that only God has given me about this verse. So let me, let me give you an example, okay? This is, this is an example. It comes out of 1 Corinthians. I put it up on the screen for you. Uh, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not expounding on this verse. I'm using this as an example of how people can take a hard verse and twist it, okay? So 1 Corinthians 15, 29 says, Paul wrote this. He says, now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Anybody know what he's talking about? Me either. 
In fact, no one knows what he's talking about when he mentions being baptized for the dead. No one knows what he's talking about. Apparently, what was going on at the Corinthian church is that there was some teaching going on that was propagating the idea that if you had a loved one who had died, you could be baptized for them. He's not promoting it. He's not saying that's what we should be doing. He is simply talking about something that was happening in a particular place at a particular time. And that's hard for us to understand. But someone else will come along and take this verse and twist it and say, okay, now then, this, this is how you help someone who's, who's passed on. That You're not sure if they knew Jesus or not. You can be baptized in proxy for them. Listen, if, we, if that's true, it completely ignores the rest of what Scripture says about baptism. So that's what I'm talking about, that when we, when we find a passage that is hard for us to understand, we, we don't, I, don't, I don't completely grasp what's going on. Don't let that unique verse set the tone for how you start looking at the bigger picture of Scripture. Because if we let this verse set the tone for how we look at baptism, we're going to miss it altogether. We're going to miss everything. So, so that's why it's so important that the verses that we do understand are the ones that set the tone for how we look at Scripture. Listen, the problem with the Bible is, is it's not the parts that we don't understand that trouble us. It's the parts that we do. The part that says forgive someone when they sin against you. Easy to understand. Just don't like doing it. The part where it says that we're to be generous and help people in need. Easy to understand. I just am too selfish to do it. You see, it's, it's not verses like this that cause us to really not want to read the Bible. It's the verses that we clearly understand that are pointing out to us Oh my goodness, I'm not living up to what I should be living up to. And I'm not even sure I want to. Because what the scriptures are telling me to do goes completely against the grain of what I want to do. And that's what really keeps most of us from studying the Bible. I think, I think. A fifth rule is never ignore context when studying a verse or word in the Bible. This is huge, okay? Because we live in a culture that ignores context most of the time. Most of the sound bites that you hear on news media outlets, somebody said something somewhere, that sound bite was taken out of context of the greater talk they were giving. Does that make sense? So, the same thing happens when we read the Bible. We can, we can find a verse in the Bible and, and it's like, wow, is that what that means? But if you take it out of context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say, to make it sound however you want it to sound. And so you and I, when we're studying the Bible, we can never do that. Let me give you an example, okay? Luke 12, 19. Again, this is an example. Jesus spoke these words. He said, take life easy Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, what do you think he meant? Well, what it sounds like it means, if you just took that verse by itself, sounds like I'm wasting my time right now. I need to be out having a party somewhere. 
But that's not what Jesus was saying. Because if we read what happens after that, if we read the next verse, we understand that actually this was a warning, not a command on how to wait, on a way to live our lives. But if you take it out of context, I can make it say whatever I want it to say. Does that make sense? So when you and I are reading the Bible, we can't take things out of context. We have to look at what's going on around that verse to understand what that verse is about. Let me give you another example. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. What do you think Jesus is talking about? Think he's talking about money? It's kind of what it looks like, right? He's not talking about money. Although that verse is used quite frequently by many people that you might watch on TV or listen to on social media that, that would say that, that in that verse, he's talking about money. If you give more money, God will give more money back to you. But that's not what that verse is saying. He's actually talking about forgiveness. That if you forgive people, more forgiveness will be given back to you. but I could take it out of context and make it say whatever I want to say. That's why it's so important that when we're studying the Bible, we don't just snag one verse, pull it out, and then begin to build something around the verse. Nope. We have to take, we have to keep in mind what's going on around that verse. Who is he talking to? What were they talking about? What was the subject matter? And then that helps us understand what's going on in a particular verse. A sixth rule that we can never forget when studying the Bible is filter historical passages through doctrinal passages. So let me give you an example, okay? Again, this comes out of the Old Testament, 1 Kings eleven three. 3. He, being Solomon, had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. This is not a recommendation on marriage. This is just a historical fact, it is a historical fact. Jesus, uh, the, the, the scriptures here, uh, is not, it's not laying out a plan for how marriage should work. It's just a historical fact. And so sometimes people will grab some of these because there were multiple people throughout the scriptures, people who loved the Lord, who had more than one wife, and they want to say, oh, well, if that was possible then, it's possible now. No, that is a recipe for misery. For the wife and the husband, it is a recipe of misery. The Bible's teaching on, on, on marriage just because there were historical people who sinned. And see, that's what I love about the Bible. That's, that's one of the things that, that I find really comforting is that we have these great heroes of faith who had great sin in their life, and the Bible could have covered that up. The Bible could have just left this out. But instead, the Bible is telling us, because if you finish that verse, if you open it up and read it, and you finish that verse, it says it created much misery in his life, and it turned his heart away from the Lord. So, so when you come across a historical fact in the Bible, that's just a fact. It's just, it's just something that's, that's going on. It doesn't mean that that sets the tone for how we live for our lives. Another example is Mark one thirty-five. It says, very early in the morning, 
while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Was well, this verse commanding that all of us should get up early in the morning and go pray? Or is it just relating to us Jesus' habit of prayer? Second one, okay? Look, I'm a morning person. I get up and I do pray. My wife is not a morning person. And if you spent time with her and with me, you would quickly discern she probably talks better to him than I do. And she never does it before the sun comes up. Never. So this verse isn't saying, oh, this is, how, this is when we should pray. It's just communicating how Jesus did it. His habit of prayer. It's just a historical observation about him. And so we have to keep that in mind when we're reading the Bible. And because if you read the rest of the Bible about prayer, you quickly discern you don't have to just pray in the morning. You can pray anytime, anywhere, about anything. Okay? Last rule they want us to talk about. Personal application of Scripture does not give us permission to make rules for others. So we always tend to understand scripture in light of our personal experiences. In other words, what's going on in our life. And sometimes what happens is we mistakenly begin to think, well, if that's how God spoke to me about that passage, that's how he's speaking to everyone about it. Let me give you an example. When, when Cherry and I were, were uh, you know, praying about uh, adopting, and, and going through the process of adoption, one of the verses that spoke to me in particular about adoption came out of James where it says true religion is to take care of uh, orphans and widows. Now then, I interpreted that for me as, you know what, Carrie, this is what God's calling you to do. This is how he's calling you to take care of orphans in my context, in my life. What would be wrong would be for me now to stand up here and tell you that all of you should be adopting someone because that's how you take care of orphans. See, how God spoke to me personally doesn't necessarily mean it now becomes a rule for all of you to follow because there are many ways to take care of orphans in the world. And I encourage you to engage in one, but it doesn't mean that you must adopt one. Does that make sense? And this happens over and over and over again uh, among believers. People will read something in the scriptures and God does speak to them. He's giving them light for what they need to do. But that doesn't mean they're to go out and make a rule for everyone else to do it the same way. And that happens over and over and over again. So when God speaks to you, you're reading the Bible and you come across something and it says this is what you need to do. You need to do it. You can share with others how God has laid that upon your heart, but you're not not telling other people how they need to do it. Okay? So those are the seven rules when you're studying the Bible that we need to keep in mind. But we really don't... The rules don't help us that much in the sense of creating motivation, right? I mean, just because I know the rules doesn't mean I'm motivated to do what they say. 
And the, the, bigger, the bigger issue when it comes to the scriptures is, is, is really how do I get excited about reading the Bible? Because if I had to guess, if, if there was an excitement meter that was above all of our heads that showed what we got excited about, when I said, how excited are you about reading the Bible? Some of our meters probably wouldn't register too much. Because reading the Bible, studying the Bible, that's just not, sounds like there's more exciting things to do. Like there's something else that, that, that would be a better use of my, my time and energy. And so we need to think about this for just a little bit. How, how do we get excited about studying the Bible and reading the Bible? 1 Timothy 4, verse 15, it says, be diligent in these matters. Now, if we were to go back and, and read what's going on there, because see, I could take that text right there I could, I could manipulate that and say, because it doesn't tell us what matters he's talking about. Do you see what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, and you can go back and read it, that what he, he's talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's talking to him about the spiritual disciplines needed to be a godly person. And, and he concludes that by saying, be diligent in these matters, these matters of being a godly person. He says, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so when it comes, one of the, one of the godly disciplines that you and I are to have is, is this idea of reading and studying God's word. And we're to be diligent in that matter. And I, I, I kind of got focused on that word, diligent. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. We are to pursue diligence. Pursue diligence. Now, diligence, it means, it means to try to reach or, or to, to find something. Uh, the, the best word, it's a hunt. I don't know if you've ever been hunting or if you, if you go hunting, but, or, or, or maybe you've lost something in your house, your car keys, and immediately you start hunting for them. Or, or you, oh, this, I know everybody's done this. You've lost your smartphone. <laughs> then you feel the pressure of the hunt, right? I gotta find that puppy. You know, I gotta find where that thing went. And the urgency that comes with, with finding something that you know is lost, that's the idea behind diligence. I, I am on the hunt for something. And, and Paul is saying that we should apply this to reading and studying God's word, that, that there's a hunt that we are on. The Bible is, is not like our favorite store that we might go to. It's not like our, it's, it's not like our online store that we may, may get on. Yeah, I, we go to a store, we're looking for something we want. When we go to the Bible, we're looking for something we need. There's a difference. And we, we're on a hunt for the truth. A biblical example of this comes out of Acts 17. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 
So this group of Berean Jews, Paul came and he began to preach the gospel to them and and they loved what he was saying, but they weren't just going to take his word for it. They wanted to see if he was accurately if he was accurately telling them the truth. And so it says they went to the scriptures to discern that. What scriptures did they have? Only the Old Testament. That's right. Only the Old Testament. But the, but they were on a pursuit for the truth. What is the truth? And that's what the Bible reveals to us. The Bible reveals to you and I the truth. We can find a picture of diligence in our world today. Any family that has kids knows what diligence is all about. Because, because when you have a kid in today's world, the idea is that they must be involved in something, some kind of sport, some kind of karate, something. There's nothing wrong with any of those activities, none whatsoever. But every one of those activities will lay down guidelines how many times you practice, when the games are, where you got to go for the event. And you know what? They pursue it with diligence. That pursuit that happens there, when, it, when, when a mom and a dad and a child or child, children get together and they say, we're going to commit to do this activity. And it may come at great cost to everything else we do, but we will do it. That is diligence. That is diligence. It's a very good quality to have. All we need to do is apply it to the scriptures and say, I will pursue this. I will chase it. I will hunt for the truth. That's how we begin to realize that that I, I need to have a hunger for God's word. The second thing that this verse tells us out of 2 Timothy is that we should watch our lives and doctrines. He says in the verse, watch your life and doctrine. In other words, is what we believe and the way we act on the same page. If not, what are we supposed to do? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Watching our life and doctrine and making course corrections is what keeps us from being hypocrites. It what, it's what keeps us from being ignorant about the truth. I'm gonna ask you a question. I just want you to raise your hand if you agree with this question, okay? Just, I'm gonna ask you two questions, okay? And, and just, just raise your hand. It's not a trick question. I'm not gonna embarrass anyone. Just... Play along with me, okay? Here we go. Here's the question, yes or no. If you agree, if the answer to you is yes, I want you to raise your hand. Here's the question. Is sex intended to only be used in marriage? Yes, yes, all right? Agree, if you raise your hand, yes. Now then, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some sitting here in the room were kind of hesitant. What's everybody else gonna say? everybody else going to do? Because I, you know, is this a trick question? No, it's not a trick question. But, but here's the thing. Most people inside church would say, yes, that is true. However, few, or I shouldn't say few, there are many who don't practice it. They don't even expect their kids to practice it. I mean, it's a value that we say we hold up to, but it's not one we really expect to be practiced. The scriptures is what creates that course correction. 
It's the scriptures that come along and convince us and teach us, oh, wait a minute. This is what's really right. Not just for my kids, for me. That's, that's what the Bible does to us when we study it, when we read it. Let me ask you another question, okay? All right, just, just again, if the answer is yes to you, throw your hand up in the air. Here, here's the question. One honors God by keeping their family first. Be careful, okay? Be careful. Because that's not what the Bible says. Although that's not what it says, many of us practice it. Many of us do it even though that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to seek the Lord and his righteousness and his kingdom first above everything else, including our family. Now listen, we know that, okay? We know that in our heads. We don't flesh it out in our lives because when's the last time you looked at anyone in your family and said no to them because you needed to do something for the Lord? Not many of us can point to that. So again, it's the scriptures that come along and give us this course correction that point out to us, this is what I need to be doing. That's how we make sure our life and doctrine are on the same page. If they're not on the same page, we're either ignorant or a hypocrite. And we're trying to avoid both of those, aren't we? That's why it's so important that we do this. The last thing that this verse talks about is that we must persevere. In other words, persevere in number one and number two. (laughs) Persevere in them. Persevere in being diligent. Persevere in watching your life and doctrine. Perseverance has two benefits according to this verse. Because if we persevere, we will save both ourselves and the people who hear us. And when I say hear us, it could be watching us or actually listening to us and doing both. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Obedience to scripture. Listen to me carefully. Obedience to scripture is the number one personal proof you have that you are saved. Period. Do you obey the scriptures? It is proof to yourself, not to anyone else, to you. That's why it's so important that we do what the scriptures say so that we know I'm where I'm supposed to be with the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Sharing with others what we have learned from the Bible, folks, I want you to know something, it'll save them. It'll save them which is really what it's supposed to be about. I know we're really big into personal fulfillment, but that's not why we're here. It is so that others might come to know the Lord. That's the truth according to the scriptures. I've never been to Israel, but I'm told and I've read about the fact that in Israel there are two very large lakes. We read about them in the Bible. Uh, Really, they're 
their seas. They're called seas in the Bible, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee's in the north, Dead Sea's in the south. Sea of Galilee is um, teeming with life. I mean, just all kinds of fish and things grow around it. It's a huge vacation spot in Israel. Uh, people to this day go to the Sea of Galilee because it is, it is just a teeming with life place. The other one, the Dead Sea, is what it says it is, the Dead Sea. Nothing lives there. There's no trees. There's no fish in the water. People go visit it because it's such an anomaly. It's dead. There's all this water and there's nothing living around it. Why? The Sea of Galilee, it, it's waters, it has waters that, that flow in from the mountains and then it has streams that flow out of it. Primarily, the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee. However, the Dead Sea has a lot of sources that flow into it and nothing flows out of it. So it's so full of minerals and elements, nothing can live there because nothing flows out. And the, 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 it's, a, it's a picture for me and you. Which one are we? Are we like the Sea of Galilee where life is teeming? Or are we like the Dead Sea? Are we like that reservoir? I want more information. I want more information about the Bible. I want more. I want more truth. I want more. But nothing flows out of you. I'm telling you, when that happens to us, our soul is dead. Nothing grows there. That's why it's so important for you and I to study God's word and to read God's word. Because when we do it properly and when we do it, do it diligently and we're doing it watching our own life and doctrine, we save ourselves and we save the people around us. We bring life to wherever we are because the scriptures are flowing through us. Amen? And that's what we've been called to do. I'm going to pray together. Jason's going to come. We're going to close out this series by answering a couple of questions that came in. And then we'll start a new series next week. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you again for your word and what it teaches us and how we are challenged to study it, read it, apply it, live it, share it. Lord, I know even as I stand and share this, I think of myself and where I fall short in all of these things all the time. Lord, forgive us. Once again, extend your mercy to us for being so careless with your word, for not giving it a priority in our lives for not doing the work that's required from us to, to read it, to study it, to know what it says. Lord, forgive us and change us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.